Welcome to the Daily Apologist Podcast. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Dean Meadows, and today I want to talk to you about faith. No, not reasons why you should be a Christian or reasons why God exists or evidence for the resurrection. I actually want to talk about the word faith. Over this past week, we put on our social media platforms a really cool quote by Dr. John Lennox, a famous mathematician and apologist, about faith. And it was actually picked up and tagged by YouTube content creator Paul Aguia, who's also a counter-apologist. And notice what uh, Dr. Lennox says. He says, faith is not a leap in the dark. It's the exact opposite. It's a commitment based on evidence. Now, Paul Aguia said in response to that, under this definition, faith is an entirely unneeded, superfluous, and redundant word. It would add nothing to any conversation. And what is so interesting about this is that anytime we talk about faith, as atheists and Christians come together to ask the question, is faith rational? Uh, it seems like the atheist means one thing by faith, and the theist means another thing by faith. And so how do we navigate this chasm? Well, to start off, I actually want to play a, a clip that expounds upon this chasm, and it's a clip from a debate between Dr. Lennox and Dr. Richard Dawkins probably a, a decade ago. I want you to pay attention to what Dawkins says about faith and how Dr. Lennox responds uh, to Dawkins' uh, statement. So here's the clip and we'll analyze it a little bit later. When you say faith is rational and evidence-based, I mean, if that were true, it wouldn't need to be faith, would it? I mean, if, the, if there were evidence for it, uh, why would you need to call it faith? You'd say just evidence. And when you said that, we, that, that faith in relativity, in, in Einstein's theory of, of re relativity, is, is evidence-based, that, of course, it is. But um, the, but the evidence is, is all important. I mean, Einstein's predictions fit in with, um, with uh, uh, observed fact and, they, and with a whole body of theory. Whereas we only need to use the word faith when there isn't any evidence. No, not at all. I presume you've got faith in your wife. Is there any evidence for that? On yes, which plenty. You base it? Yes, plenty of evidence. Um, mm. I... Let's generalize it. Never mind about my wife. Let's generalize it. It's the same with Biden, Richard. It's the same with Biden. Let's say, let's say that in general, how do we know that somebody loves us? Okay? Yes. Um, you can now, notice in that clip, Dawkins says the only time that you can really use faith in is when there is no evidence. And Paul Gia's claim by implication is that to use faith in the same way that you use evidence, is an equivocation. And notice Lennox's response. Lennox says, well, I presume that you have faith in your wife. Is there any evidence for that? And this is where the, the chasm between the atheist and the theist lies. It lies in the definition of faith. The atheist is using one definition, and the theist is using a different definition. The theist believes that faith is this type of trust and confidence in somebody or something, namely on the basis of consistent action and the nature 
of that person or thing. Whereas the theist is, or the atheist is saying, no, 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 faith is belief in something without any evidence at all to support a particular position or belief. So how do we navigate this? How do we get to the bottom of what faith is and, and how faith is defined? Well, if we're talking from the Christian perspective, the place that we go to is the New Testament. And we look at the New Testament and we ask the question, all right, how does the New Testament define faith? Now, this is a very important point because some atheists that I have interacted with would say, well, the modern definition of faith, or if we pull a modern dictionary out and we look at the definition of faith and how it's used today, well, that's not the way in which we define how Christians should uh, apply or how Christians do use the word faith. We want to go to the source documents that influence Christian thought, that dictate the way Christians act and the way that Christians speak. So when we look at the New Testament, we want to know what the first century author meant by the word faith. And so we would do a word study on the word pistis. And what we find uh, is that pistis is the it defines faith as a trust or confidence in someone or something. It's a term of fidelity. And so there are a couple of examples that we can look at in the New Testament that either explicitly uh, use this word or show or demonstrate the meaning of faith through, through particular speech sections in the New Testament. So the first one that I'd like to go to is found in John 10, 37, where Jesus is talking to the Jews there. And he says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So what's Jesus's point here? Jesus's point is that even if you don't believe the words that I'm saying, believe, trust, have this trust or confidence in me on the basis of the physical evidence that I have provided. And that's completely consistent with the definition that's uh, used in the New Te Testament. And that's completely consistent with the word used, the word usage of Lennox in his quote, and also the example that he gives in the debate, which we'll return to a little bit later. Now, let's look at another section in Acts chapter 2, where Peter is giving uh, this sermon on the day of Pentecost. And Peter uses three, uh, has three avenues of approach to his audience uh, to, to give proof for the resurrection. The first one is miracles. He says to them in Acts chapter 2, uh, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. That's in Acts uh, chapter 2, starting uh, in verse 20 or, or verse 22. All right, and then the second one is prophecy, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 29. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today, being therefore a prophet. 
he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection. So in this, in this particular section, uh, Peter's pointing out that, hey, we, can, we know where David is buried. But David also made mention that God had sworn an oath to him that his descendant would sit on his throne. And so obviously he's, he's not talking about himself, but David being a prophet foresaw the resurrection of Jesus. And then the third would be eyewitness testimony. In that same section, uh, Peter notes that this Jesus, God raised up, right, and sat before uh, the right, sat before his right hand, and that everybody there is witness to this resurrection. Uh, and he says in verse thirty-three, following what you see on what you see on the screen, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven. But he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at the right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And so Peter goes on and he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Now, when they hear these words, the people in the audience say, oh my goodness, it says that they are cut to the heart. And they ask the question, what should we do? Uh, and Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for you, your family, and all those who are far off to whom God may call. Now, what's the point of using Acts chapter 2? It doesn't specifically say that they immediately had this trust and this confidence in, uh, in God, in Jesus as Lord. But we see that this is uh, implied by their reaction, what should we do? Now, what was this reaction based off of? It wasn't some blind leap or some, uh, you know, you know, blind obedience to, to Peter and, and the apostles. No, it was based upon the case that was laid out by Peter through miracles, through prophecy, and through their own uh, eyewitness testimony that they arrived at this conclusion that, yeah, we should trust what Peter's saying here. And that based upon that trust, we should simply be obedient uh, to the gospel. And so the last section that we want to look at here, sorry about that, is from Acts chapter 17. And Paul is here in the Areopagus. He's talking to pagans. And he concludes his sermon by saying that God has fixed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness by a man, man who he has appointed and of this he has given us assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now the word assurance here in this section is, the root of that word is pistis, is faith, is this trust, is this confidence. Now notice here, uh, what is the basis of the assurance that God will judge the world in righteousness? Well, the basis for that assurance that God will judge the world in righteousness is through the raising of Jesus from the dead. So what's interesting here is that this assurance uh, is based on evidence. Well, what's the evidence? The raising of Jesus from the dead. The assurance isn't some uh, blind obedience to God. So when we look at the quote by Lennox and we look at the response 
by Polygia. It's clear that Linux has his thumb on the correct definition of how the New Testament uses this word, faith. But I would pose the same question to Polygia that, that Linux poses to Dawkins, that if Polygia, uh, you know, has somebody in which he's in a relationship with, whether that's a friend or that's a romantic relationship, uh, does he believe that they will maintain or is currently maintaining their faithfulness uh, to him, even though they may not be present? Well, what's the basis of uh, that belief, that trust, and that confidence that they are maintaining those vows of friendship or that vow of romantic involvement? Uh, well, it would be on the basis of a demonstrated nature and consistent action. Well, that's exactly what we see in the New Testament as uh, if the New Testament is historically reliable, which I believe that it is, well, then we have this consistent nature and these demonstrable actions that God has towards his people that demonstrates to God, demonstrates to us that God loves us, not by some blind obedience, but by a demonstrated action and a consistent nature. And on that basis of that evidence, we have a right to uh, maintain or enter into uh, a faithful relationship with God, this trust and this confidence that the New Testament talks about. So it's because of this uh, definitional chasm that both the atheist and the theist enter into or, or have at the outset of the conversation that causes this tension and causes this problem when we talk about whether or not faith is rational. Well, it's clear from the evidence that faith is not this blind leap into the theological abyss, that faith is this trust and confidence in God on the basis of his nature and his consistent actions towards humanity that demonstrate that he loves us. So when it comes to Polygia's retweet, we see that it's Polygia that has the definitional problem, not Dr. Lennox. Faith definitely is a trust or confidence in God on the basis of evidence. And you can know that through things like the Kalam cosmological argument, through things like the historicity of the re resurrection, New Testament reliability. And so next time that you hear an atheist say that the use of faith alongside of evidence is redundant, just remember that faith is trust and confidence on the basis of evidence, not in spite of the lack of evidence. Have a great day. This is the Daily Apologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Meadows.